Welcome to week six of Catching Up with Connor and Nick. This week, Nick hosted Founders Live Seattle and discusses the winner of this week's show, Partner Tap. Connor met with Ryan Holiday this week, author of the new book, Conspiracy. They talk about HQ trivia brand deals with Nike and Ready Player One, and they end the show with talking about the best ways to get 1,000 users using the internet. This is Catching Up with Connor and Nick. Have a great show. Hey, Nick, good morning. How you doing? I'm good, Connor. How are you? Uh, wonderful. I cannot complain. I'm off to a little bit of a slow start today, uh, <laughs> but it's much needed after a long week. Uh, how, how'd, you, how'd your week go? What'd you accomplish this week? Well, I accomplished uh, a number of things, but uh, last night we had you know Founders Live Seattle event, so... I'm I'm also in the uh, slow to get going on a Friday situation. <laughs> yeah. But, so how did Founders Live go? I wasn't able to make it, unfortunately. Uh, I, no- but... I noticed. I noticed you weren't there, man. Uh, but it, no, it was awesome. There was probably, you know, there was more than 200 people. Probably 225 people. Um, just an awesome event, and um, you know we can cover that a little later in terms of the result. But um, man, it just the legend builds every month. This is awesome. Where where did you host it at? Uh, we hosted at the Riveter. It, at the Riveter, a, great. It's a co-working space in Seattle, and uh, they're they're an awesome partner. And they're actually, um, I know it's it's slightly been talked about, but they're they're expanding, and their next their next opening will be in L.A. So whenever they open, it's going to be in a couple months, but we'll probably partner with them. And hold at least one event, if not um, every month, at their location down in LA, which is really cool. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. they—I've been seeing them hosting events. It seems like every day. Uh, it's been really impressive how they've just continually been getting people in their space. Yeah, yeah. They're. It, I mean, they have a great. They have a really great space in Seattle, uh, up on Capitol Hill, and it's a really you know just a big, big room. It's perfect for events. So I think that they kind yeah. of nat- naturally gravitated towards that but hopefully you know the locations they open in the next couple years also no matter what city they're in they can facilitate events like that so um yeah man yeah Yeah, it's going well well shout out to the riveter since we're on the topic let's just talk about uh the companies from last night um so is there anyone you know who gets honorable mention from your eyes or do you want to go straight into who won so honorable mention i will man the, the lineup was amazing um we had like a uh, one was called Magic AI, and they're building like a basically um, artificial intelligence interface that can. They're starting with animals, and really, in the end, um, the long story short is she had a, a horse that ended up dying in the state, and she basically looked at that and said, "Is there a way that we can better monitor this animal so that we would have been no- like notified and known that this like the horse was actually like sick?" And within 24 hours, the horse died. And so through that, you know, she created this, um, this system that is a better monitoring system of the animal health-wise. Basically, it's, a, it's almost an interface between the animal and the humans to notify them, like, the status of the, the animal, the health, and all that. And I can see where they're going, which, you know, where I see it is, like, 
dude, it's like almost like the communication mechanism between animals and humans. How do you create AI around that? So that's interesting. Another one is Sunfly, which basically he's creating a stamp that you stamp onto your skin that tells you the amount of UV rays that you're receiving. And it actually like works with sunscreen. And I just think that that's amazing because dude, we, we measure the steps that we're taking every day. We measure the heart rate, dude, why are we not measuring the exposure to possibly, you know, cancerous UV rays that your, your skin is actually receiving? Like, you know, we put on sunscreen, but we don't know how much UV rays and the, the, the danger zone that we're in. And so he's building that out, which I think is really cool. So um, how does that work? Is it a stamp that just like changes colors or is it a digital product that has like a readout on an app? Yeah, right now it's, it's a stamp that does change color based on the exposure. I can see where it's going to evolve. But, you know, in the end, like this is the questions that he got, which is like, you know, you could, you, could, um, you could go down the road of how technologically advanced or stickers and blah, blah, blah. But it's like you have to be able to like the thing has to la- like it has to work in all scenarios. And yeah. what he found was a stamp that has the chemicals that change based on the exposure is actually the one that, that works in all experiences versus like a sticker, which the moment you put on a shirt or the moment you, you lather sunscreen on that doesn't work, it falls off. So um, the stamp actually seems to work the best, but I think he's, I think he's holding his cars very close because I, I can, I can see the, where you could go above and beyond what he's done thus far. Yeah. Um, but the winner real quick uh, was partner tap and you'll like this. Basically it's when you are a sales team, Basically, they're building almost this like, um, well, it's it's a, it's like a CRM, but like a, a web experience, a cloud experience where one company can bring on their partners. That it's in the end, it's like partner selling, and it's a it's a virtual environment where you can share information. And in the end, you are partnering with other companies to together better sell your your products. Um, which I think is really interesting in the sense that if you're a sales team or a salesperson and you're like trying to like, you know, slap your products all around and try to sell, um, if there's a way to bring in other partners, which basically means other companies share the data, share what the deal is and allow them to sell your product for you. Um, it's just a, a, a better com- um, coordinated way. Yeah, to sell partner. So you should partner tap, you should check them out and um, they're, they're working on some cool stuff. Yeah, I'm writing that note down here so I can Google that a little bit. That sounds very yeah. interesting. Um, so, I mean, it, did they win like by an overwhelming amount or was it pretty um, close? It wasn't, it wasn't um, tremendously close, but it was, it was definitely, um, I mean, there was a number of companies that had a lot of votes. Yeah. Uh, but PartnerTab, you know, she definitely brought a crew of people, <laughs> secondly, um, which is encouraged for sure. But um, secondly, uh, her pitch, I, I always know, dude, the moment she started talking, I was like, yep, she won. And it's because the cadence, the, the way that the, the pitch is being laid down, you know, you yeah. only have 99 seconds. Like the moment she started talking, I'm like, yeah, like she's, she's got it. So yeah. um, it, it, was a, it was a great pitch and, you know, she well-deserved well the win. Um, kind of on a side note, because uh, you are recording some of these pitches, right, Nick? Mm-hmm. Um, are those po- are those pitches getting posted individually on 
Founders Live? That's a, you know, that's a really good question. And at this point, no. Um, but the goal is that over time, as we build out our team, uh, I would I would love to have a content team, and we will at some point, where all the pitches that are happening around the world, they're basically pulling that content, you know, after the, because they are recorded and live streamed. Um, then we have an internal team that would clip those up and then post those. It would just be great to every day, you know, on Founders Live, you're seeing like, you know, a, a variety of uh, posts that are basically the 99 second pitches of these companies. And it becomes almost like a minute and a half commercial yeah. or whatnot, um, a minute and a half pitch that people can learn about the company and, um, you know, either go in and become a, a user or, you know, partner with them or an investor. But um, no, we're not doing that yet, which is okay. just because it's just it, it's so much work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. yeah, that would be super cool. I mean, you, you almost have enough pitches at this point through all the cities to, like, either be revealing one new pitch a day to everyone who hasn't attended those events or uh i just kind of thought about like it would be so cool if you did like uh if all of the pitches got voted on right Mm -hmm. like you like you did like an ncaa bracket um and and like everyone from the month from all the cities everyone on the platform could vote uh for all the pitches no matter what city they were in and you can kind of like get one big winner. I, I mean, with Founders Live, it's like there's just there's so many things we can do, right? And so it's trying yeah. to figure out what is the, you know, what makes sense right now. What is our bandwidth? Um, but yeah, like basically every single month we just have more and more pitches, and we will be able to start bringing that content in, chopping it up, posting yeah. it with within Founders Live as well as on social media. Um, we're excited about that, um, but. Um, hey, moving on. So you mentioned um, you met Ryan Holiday, man. Yeah, so that's why I couldn't go to Founders Live uh, because I've had this on the calendar for a little while. And this is actually the second time I've met Ryan Holiday. I met him first last August when I was with Gary V at VaynerMedia because it happened to be the same day that Ryan Holiday was on the Ask Gary V show. And so I got to sit right behind him and talk with him very, very briefly uh, but I got to sit in on the recording of that entire show. And so he came back today because he just launched this book called Conspiracy, which um, I have it in my queue to start reading, but I haven't read it yet. But I've kind of read the details. And the the early acknowledgement to the book is it's very different from traditional Ryan Holiday books. The last book that he wrote or uh, that came out was last fall. Uh, it was called Perennial Seller. And it was just about how some of these uh, specifically – media platforms are movies, music, TV shows, how they become perennial where they last forever. So the movie Shawshank Redemption, you can still find that pretty much on TV, like every single day somewhere. And (laughs) so Morgan Freeman is still getting checks from the syndication of that movie. That's crazy. Right. And we just have some things in pop culture that will never die. Uh, And, and he has this concept that, Every day that it lives, it just progresses its its strength and longevity to live forever. And so he also wrote another book called Ego is the Enemy and the Obstacle is the Way. Very stoic philosophy. I think he's kind of like a modern philosopher. But this new book is, is more of like a personal 
passion project that he had called Conspiracy. And it's the conspiracy between um, the rise and fall of Gawker media uh. and, its, and its relationship to the lawsuit between Hulk Hogan and what eventually came out was also Peter Thiel. Yeah. And so uh, for this, you know, dragged out across years was this lawsuit between Hulk Hogan and Gawker because Gawker released um, a, a multiple sex tapes, which also included Hulk Hogan using some uh, derogatory words towards towards people. And um, it, it turned into this big core battle. Gawker ended up losing, had to pay out $140 million, which pretty much bankrupt the whole company. Um, and, you know, that's really the gist of it. And I was like, oh, this is very much like just like a dramatic. But then after hearing Ryan talk about it, it was really impressive to hear how all his other books tied in and how he wrote it. So so his intention was for it to be perennial. So in five, 10 or 50 more years, you can still reflect on the story that he told and and, and not, you know, not say this is outdated at all. Hmm. Um but it's really a story that it's it's almost Shakespearean or like a Greek epic where um, kind of both parties are all, all three people kind of think they're in the right. And they and they all kind of end up losing. Um, Weird. And because Gawker, right, doesn't become a company and that whole falls apart. So, right, all those people lose their jobs. The author who wrote it kind of. You know, that's going to destroy his career. Hulk Hogan is like kicked out of WWE. He's no longer even a wrestling Hall of Famer anymore. So his whole, uh, um, let's just say, legacy is tarnished. And Peter Thiel, who originally set out to like want to be private and why he got involved with Gawker is Gawker released, you know, was, was putting out content saying that Peter Thiel was gay. And Peter Thiel didn't want to release that information. He wanted to stay private. And because of how this all played out, he's, he remained private until about two months after the lawsuit finished. Um, mm-hmm. But once it came out, it put him in the limelight. And it kind of made him look like this villain, right? Very spiteful. Um, and then the impact that it had in the future, which is really crazy, because then we saw Peter Thiel get involved in the political spectrum back here in 2016 with the Trump election. And... So it really just like put him on this path and it's a story that at the time it was kind of like David versus Goliath. And, and even though Hulk Hogan, you know, is a, what Peter Thiel calls a single digit millionaire, um, (laughs) you know, he's still kind of an American legend because of how many people have a connection with him. And they, they kind of person personify him as this like a uh, all American dude and Gawker as this big media agency. That's like just out to ruin people. Um, and then it ends up kind of turning out. It's actually just like two Goliaths throwing punches at each other. And there is no David. And, and it just kind of like ends, even though Hulk Hogan gets his all, gets his money and, and Peter Thiel takes down Gawker. Like everyone just really loses from it. And the only person who, who, wins are all the lawyers in the end who get who get all their fees no matter what (laughs) um and it was just very interesting to hear um how this all played out and and the impact that it's now having on today's political climate because it was kind of the very beginning of like the anti uh elite establishment that Mm -hmm. that drove the election 
Um, but it was very similar to the election because we had this anti-elite, but then we were putting Trump up there. Um, and so I just had to talk about it because it was so interesting. And Peter Thiel, uh, right, is such a big investor. And we've heard about him and we've read his books and talked about his books um, that it was just very interesting. And, and I look up to Ryan Holiday because, because he writes about such different things that most people aren't writing about today. Man, I mean, that's so interesting. What, what would you say is the biggest thing that you took from him just, you know, last night when you talked with him or you were around there? Yeah, so just his perspective after all of the things. So for, for anyone listening out there, definitely Google Ryan Holiday, but he, was, he pretty much was the marketing manager for American Apparel when they, like, went big time, right? Mm-hmm. And he took them from kind of a small company to a very large company. Um, he also worked for, I, I can't remember the, the guy's full name. I know his last name green, but he wrote the 48 laws of power. Um, so he just has had oh, some really, that, that's a really good book by the way. Yes. And he just has this really strong background and just really, I, I was just impressed about how his other books tied into this book because you couldn't see it from afar. But once he explained, um, the learnings about like ego is the enemy and how, all these people just had these big egos and Peter Thiel specifically had this big ego, uh, right. That drove him to want to take down Gawker. Gawker had the ego that, you know, they were too big and that they thought they were only going against Hulk Hogan and he didn't have enough resources to go after him. Um, and then Hulk Hogan is Hulk Hogan. So, you know, about that and ego, uh, right. Holiday made a joke that when he interviewed Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan was wearing a t-shirt with his face on it. Um, so that doesn't say enough about ego. Uh, but the other, the other one in his most recent book, which I didn't see was, and I was curious about was perennial seller. Like I know after writing this book, he thinks about all of his content now about like, how can this last? Yeah. And he took out a lot of some of the smaller details and tried to make it connect to more of these themes, um, about, uh, not, not necessarily David and Goliath, but how, these epic stories in Greek philosophy or Shakespeare all kind of play out the same, right? Where you have these parties and they're battling against each other and then they all die in the end, right? And it all, like, it all ends out poorly. And, and both parties try to, they have this ideal vision and they, you know, they have their successes and their failures and they get to the end. And it's like, yeah, we took down Gawker. Uh, but then, in today's political climate, especially with all of these celebrity allegations coming out, you know, people are now saying like, oh, like if Gawker was around right now, I think actually Gawker broke news about some of these celebrities that had uh, uh, some of these sexual misconduct cases that are coming up now. I think Mm -hmm. they broke news about like Louis C.K. and a few others. And it was like, oh, if Gawker was still around right now, uh, they, they'd still be putting out shitty content and, and terrible articles, but they actually could have been helping drive the conversation and, and bringing more transparency to some of these big issues that we're having right now in the media. Yeah, that's um, so interesting. It's so interesting. And so it was like, okay, yes, you took them down because like they, they, it, it was a slime ball company, but now it's like, oh, maybe we could have actually used that. And it's a very interesting like juxtaposition of, of when decisions get made, and this happens with all companies, you just don't know what the outcome is going to be. And it might seem good in the beginning, but uh, you can have unintended consequences that happen. Yeah, this is it's really interesting. And I, I just want to point out something and then we kind of transition to another thought. Um, but 
what what Ryan Holiday is actually pointing, I, I think that perennial seller um, is an interesting thought, which is create something that you basically position it and create it so that it is perennially important or relevant in some way, shape, or form. It's not a flash in the pan, yes. right? And I think he's in the insight there is interesting. I want to read that book, and I want to bring up the concept, which is. You know, we've talked about this, um, not on the call, but the concept of like, when you look at something like HQ trivia, um, I'm just going to come from the angle that I think it's a little bit of a, um, there's a, it's slightly flash in the pan. It's kind of like the new shiny object. I don't know if they, what they're creating is something that is going to last and stick because they're using a cash prize to incent people to keep on the app and the moment you continue to give more and more money every week and every month um that it just becomes something that is so um just facetious and um i think it's very short-lived in my opinion so with that being said (laughs) yeah good transition (laughs) um i'm i'm curious of how long it's going to last in our culture but with that being said they're starting to do more sponsored uh, you know, kind of trivia events, and I we could all see that coming. So whether it's Nike sponsoring it, and the Nike logo is there, they're obviously paying a lot of money. Or if it's going to be Netflix, or you know, just trivia on movies or shows, dude, I I can see where that's going, and there's something there of like value. But do you think that? Do you think that that is their golden ticket? Do you think that that's the staying, you know, essentially that what helps them stay in, in uh, popular culture for many years or where do you see this going given that they're now turning the, the, they're making that turn into more sponsored and advertising? Yeah. I think, I think the sponsored advertising is going to push some people away, uh, which is to be expected, but it definitely gave them some staying power. Because just simply about the attention that they are driving on a daily basis and on these Sunday games, now they're over 2 million people is just very impressive to see like how, you know, they've raised all the money and they've got the attention now and they are keeping the attention. I don't think that this is going to be something that we play in probably 2020, but I do think that this they are creating a new uh, kind of evolution of the game show and where that's going to go as far as playing on our phones. And I would expect that there's already new games coming out that are trying to compete with it, but I think it's going to create a whole new family of content on the phone that it might not be HQ trivia that ends up being the winner, but they are kind of first to market and, they are they they have shown that it is possible to keep people's attention live and do prizes and here in America at least but I think almost around the world like we love game shows and we love trivia and so I don't think like those concepts are perennial and so the medium of it is going to change but these brand deals that they've done I think are going to give them a lot of staying power because if Nike's going to give you or or uh, Ready Player One is going to give you $3 million and you're going to give away 250000 of it, uh, that's, that's pretty good. 
Um, and, and I think that's a pretty strong branding play for ready player one as well. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's, so it's futuristic. It's man. I'm, I'm so split on this because in one way I, well, first of all, I, I would just ask you like, I mean, honestly, like out of seven days a week, when you get that notification on your phone, how many times are you playing it? I'm playing it way less. Um, I'm only trying to play the big games. Now. Yeah. So like uh, weekend, right? Yep. Um, but so it's just weird because I still get, I get the, I get the notification and I'm usually in a meeting or like, it's just like, God, of course, like I'm busy. I've got shit to do. Like I can't sit here and stop and, you know, play. So they're, they're clearly, um, the people that are, uh, frequently playing the game are people that either in college or just don't have a ton of, they might not be busy at that time. I don't know what's going on. Maybe they're on the lunch break or whatever, but, um, you know, so one, the notification I get a lot and I'm like, I'm never opening it and playing it. Um, but two, so, so that's one side, which is, I don't know how, uh, are they going to be a perennial seller, if you will, um, over time. But this other side, I'm like, man, it is the next evolution of the game show, which, you know, clearly has been something, especially in the U S uh, popular for, you know, decades and it's just the new way to deliver that experience. And you're now engaging the crowd, not just the p- contestants that are on Wheel of Fortune. Yep. Um, so I think that that's interesting. So I'm, I'm split on it. But, hey, you know, I guess in, in the founder supported, you know, I, I give them kudos. They figured it out. They've reached a certain level. They're able to talk and land deals with large companies that are paying them. Yeah, if, if you just if you go in the room and say, look, one dollar per user that are engaged in that moment. So it's we have two million people engaged. So it's gonna be two million dollars for this one event, Nike, and they're like, okay, cool, one dollar per user. I mean, yeah, you think about that. You can go in there with some balls and land some big, big deals with these brands simply because you're driving a lot of attention. So I give them, um, I, I not only give them uh, a big high five for that, but secondly, I am I am interested in that model from the founders' life standpoint. Is there a way to bring together in the moment globally people around uh, some sort of attention, um, you know, just whether it's a company pitching or, you know, how would we do something like that? I'm, I'm, I'm definitely looking at how we would do something like that. I don't we're not going to copy it, but um, I, I just give them a big high five for driving like in real time millions of people's attention. Yep. That's huge. Yep. And, yeah. And now that they're at the, the two million mark, they just have. Yeah, so much more power to say, hey, we have this kind of attention. Um, but but kind of transitioning to the next topic, right? It's it's great that you're at 2 million people. I still don't really know the the story of HQ of how they've got their original users. Like, what did they do to market to get people to download the app and go play some of these first games? Um, that would be an interesting story. Maybe I just have to do a little bit more digging. Uh, mm-hmm. But you posted this article and... Um, it was written by, I'm looking at the author, a, a Tekken tank. And, mm-hmm. and it was titled, Land Your First Thousand Users, How to Get Early Stage Traction for Your Startup. Yeah. And so, Nick, like, what did you think about this article and, and why did you share it? You know, I thought, I thought it was really important in the sense of, you know, especially a, a lot of, you know, with Founders Live, it's just a lot of early, you know, companies just getting going and, I, I, you know, look, the hardest, you, the hardest chunk of users to get is your first thousand. Um, and I can attest to that because we've definitely 
you know, achieved that over the last handful of years, but um, getting to a thousand basically gets you to be able to get to the next step, which is your, you know, 10,000, 100,000 users. And, you know, you got to, if you're going to build a product or an experience, you know, how are you going to please and, and how are you going to land your first thousand users that love your product? And so the, the article is really just some tactics around that. And I, I would just want, I want to point out um, the one that res- resonated with me the most was um, really build what he's saying, build a community and yeah. you know, founders life is a community. So it's kind of natural, but I would just say that if you're going to build a product today, how are you going to essentially your first thousand quote users should be your first thousand community and the goal is to bring people around your product and service and they so they they love it they talk about it they share it with other people and that's how you're going to get your next thousand it's not it's not build a thousand and then go spend money to get the next thousand it's build a community that talks about you and your product that brings the next thousand for free yes for free i I think I, i really think like you know, if you want to go from zero to a thousand, you have to figure out how you're building a community around the brand, around the experience. Um, I mean, I was, you know, just, you know, last night we're at Founders Live and it's just, it's, it's so freaking cool to look at these people. Everyone loves that event. They're there. They're going to, they literally right now are at their office or at work talking about it saying, Hey, I went to this thing last night. It's really cool. It's called Founders Live. You should go. And so now I have that group of people, and this is not just in Seattle, we're, we're in 14 cities, and we have now a community that's really talking to others, bringing them into the experience. And so, you know, for me, I'm, I'm not, I would tell any founder, it's not, you know, don't spend money on marketing, like, you know, don't, don't spend money on paid media, don't spend money on blah, blah, blah actually figure out how to build your community first. And that could be the first hundred, that could be the 500, a thousand, but figure that out first and do that in very unique, um, quote, unscalable ways. So that when you have that thousand person community, they're then going to start spreading it to the next thousand, 10,000, hundred thousand people. So that, in my opinion, that's, I think that's how you achieve your first thousand. Yeah. And I really loved kind of all the topics that he brought up here. It was an article where after I finished reading it, I was just like, yes, like that's, that's the key. And uh, it's actually the reason why, you know, I've had, I I had a lot of trouble with the previous startup that, that you and I know of uh, because there was no effort in building that community. Right. Right. No, good but, point. And, and we had a two-sided model, which is always very tough. And we are building lots of relationships with local businesses, but we were not building relationships with consumers. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm actually like obsessed with building all those relationships with the consumers because I'm starting this agency or I've started this agency that, utilizing all these business relationships but really where a majority of my focus is is building relationships with normal people and consumers through social media so that i have their attention and i become a voice and and i hate the word but i become an influencer so now when i partner with local businesses and i say hey check out this restaurant or check out this bar or yesterday i did a story on a knife sharpening sharpening studio um, nice. that, you know, all these people who are like, oh, I have like professional kitchen knives and 
I haven't had them sharpened ever, right? And so maybe that's something that I need to do. And that's kind of become my whole new focus. And going out through social media has made it easier than ever to actually go and find these people, mm -hmm. right? Like it, it's really just about time investment. And that is such an under, I get that we're all busy, but when it comes down to it, everyone does have some time that they can sacrifice to go yeah. build an audience. And so now, you know, I'm getting paid to consult with local business owners and it's like, Hey, like you're into this specific drum. Like if you go on Twitter, you'll see that there are 45 people talking about this drum like today, right? Like now you just need to go and engage and jump into that conversation and you have access to the entire world and any topic that you are passionate about or that you're interested in, you can really easily search for that on all these different platforms yeah. and find those people and build a relationship and not sell them, but just have them, you know, start to establish a relationship and, and eventually define yourself as, as the leader of that industry. Yeah. It, in the end, it's what about your product service and experience? I, I just keep using that word now. Um, what is it that's unique and why would people want to get around that product service and community? And, you know, that's what I'm learning with founders live. And I think it's, it's available to any company. You just have to figure out what you're building, like what is unique about it and why would people come around, whether it's, again, knives or, um, you know, like food or, you know, any sort of technology or, you know, for Founders Live, it's just, it's entrepreneurship and it's not only the in-person experience, but also the, the online, you know, the global community that is sharing information. We have a lot of great content. Uh, people are chatting and they're just wanting to get around people that are going through the same thing, thing as them. And the, I would just say, whoever, if you're listening and you're trying to build a company in a startup, really think about, okay, what, what experience are we actually crafting? What are we trying to build in terms of a community and go out and find those mechanisms and ways to actually bring people together. And at that point, you know, that's at least going to get you the first hundreds or thousands of people and from there, you can continue to innovate and grow. Yeah, it's, it's still a brand new opportunity that so many companies, I mean, still haven't figured out yet. That, yeah. that, that's the way to go get it. And so yep. that's it for us today here on Catching Up. But Nick, you got any parting words for uh, the people listening today? Uh, my parting words are uh, have a great weekend. Or if you're listening to this uh, in the beginning of next week, uh, have a great week. Um, but I'm excited to see, you know, who wins the final four. So <laughs> if you're a basketball fan, then uh, have a good final four weekend. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Nick. Everyone listening, whether you are listening on this first week of April, on Friday, March 30th, or you're listening in 2020, we appreciate you. Uh, thank you for your time and your attention. Enjoy uh, your day. And Nick, have a great weekend. Enjoy the final four. And I will see you next week. All right, Connor. See you later, man. Oh, 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 oh,